Well, I invite you, if you'd like to turn to uh, John chapter 10, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through uh, 21 and take a look at those uh, same verses. Last week, we spent a bit of time looking at um, what Jesus was calling the hirelings, uh, those who are not looking out for the flock, who run when danger comes. And now we're going to look at uh, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the one who is entirely opposed uh, to those, the opposite of them. So John chapter 10 at verse 1, and before we read and look at it, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our shepherd, for guiding us and for leading us where it is that you have us to be, into these green pastures beside these quiet waters where our souls can be restored. And as we take a look at Jesus, our good shepherd, we ask that you comfort those of us who are hurting. We ask that you would come and chase down those of us who are straying. We ask that you would heal and mend those of us who have things in our lives which are just broken and shattered and in need of a lot of mending. So we pray that you'll do this all for your glorious name and for the sake of your son. Amen. John chapter 10 of verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here, everyone listening, uh, Jesus uh, is spending uh, quite a bit of time indicting the false shepherds, the hirelings. They are standing right in front of him. 
They are the Jews, as John would call them. They're the religious leaders. They are not caring for the sheep. They don't care for them at all. They just want what they can get out of them and the praise they can get out of them, the money, etc., the comfortable life, and all the adoration. And Jesus, in this passage, just sets himself up as the total opposite of that, the good shepherd. And I just want to walk through and notice uh, 10 things about the good shepherd. Don't worry. Uh, this will be a little longer uh, flight than normal, so buckle in, <laughs> go to the bathroom, whatever you got to do um, uh, to last the flight. But uh, we've already looked at number one last week. We looked at the shepherd is qualified. So whoever this good shepherd is has to be qualified, and that's Jesus. He came by the door. He fulfilled all the prophecies, and John the Baptist pointed to him. So he's the one qualified to walk in the store and lead the flock. The other nine things that I want to notice about the good shepherd is the good shepherd is heard by the sheep, number one, knows the sheep by name, is trusted by the sheep, is the only way to salvation and abundant life, unites very different sheep, Number six, the good shepherd is God. Number seven, the good shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep. Eight, is willing to die for the sheep. And finally, is known by the sheep. So those nine things is what I'd like us to look at, some longer than others. So let's begin looking at the shepherd is heard by the sheep uh, in verses 3, 4, and 16. The sheep hear his voice. The sheep follow him for they know his voice and they will listen to my voice, verse 16. The shepherd's voice is a powerful thing for the sheep. Not even necessarily his specific calls, but just the sound of his voice. When the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, they are comforted, they innately trust that where they are is okay, unless the shepherd's voice is a shrill cry, at which they might start to be alarmed. But the shepherd's voice to a sheep is everything. I can't remember where I was years ago, but uh, I was somewhere by a gate along road. I saw somebody standing there who was apparently a shepherd, pulled over, and there was a big field, just tons of fans, couldn't see the end of it, and there was a, a, a flock of sheep in there. And uh, I asked him, what calls would you use to call these sheep in? I just wanted to try this out. <laughs> And so he gave me the calls and I did it and I could have called in French, Spanish, Mandarin, English, it didn't matter what language, what accent I had. I was making the same calls he was trying to sound like him and they didn't budge an inch. They didn't even, some, they didn't even lift up their heads. They were entirely unmoved by my voice, even though I could get close enough that so if, if we were just listening as human beings, I might say, yeah, that sounds like the shepherd. And then... Me, I think there were other people with me, said, why don't you go ahead and do the same thing? And he calls it instantly. Every sheep's alert. And then he calls them in and they start slowly meandering toward him. Just the voice of a shepherd. They know it. Every believer in the same way knows the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like you to pause and think for a moment about how many competing voices we listen to all throughout the week. Through news, through media, through advertising, through conferences we might go to, and how many things we're bombarded with, how many messages, how many voices, how many themes, how many things that people are trying to indoctrinate in us and teach in us, et cetera, about who we are. And as we listen to that, what takes place almost by nature in our minds is it hits a filter. And as Christians, we say, okay, that's not the shepherd's voice. This advertising world is telling me if I don't buy their product, I'm a nobody. My shepherd tells me that he loves me and I'm somebody in his kingdom. 
This gimmick says, if you don't have this experience, you're really missing out. My shepherd tells me, actually, in this life, we're going to be pretty much missing out on a lot of stuff. What's The good part is yet to come. That's part two when we get to heaven. Then none of us will be missing out. Over and over and over again in this world, politicians, both sides of the fence and independents will tell you, unless you vote for us, you won't arrive at utopia. Our shepherd says, why are people telling you that utopia is even possible in this world? They're wrong. It's not. Utopia is coming in the next world. Beloved, we're bombarded with voices, with messages over and over. But one thing that's characteristic of Christians is that when Jesus speaks through his word, by his spirit, we hear it. Click, he's speaking. We turn to his word. We're a people of his word. We love learning about his word. We want to grow in his word because that's where the Lord Jesus Christ speaks. We're exactly like sheep in this way. False teachers, let's say from Mormonism, from Buddhism, from Judaism can teach. And we say, yeah, sorry, that's not the voice of my shepherd. That's not how this works. But Jesus comes and he talks about sin. He says, look, you're sinful. And we say, now that's a message from my shepherd. I can, yep, that's exactly right. That's my shepherd. And I've come to save and to seek, to seek and to save those who are lost. We say, that's the voice of my shepherd. That makes, that makes perfect sense because I'm lost and I need a savior. And I've come to do this all by myself, says the shepherd. I've come to lay down my life willingly. Ah, I'm, I'm listening. I'm starting to run to the shepherd. He's calling me in now. I'm, I'm on board with that. And there's a whole nother life to come. Don't work about to store up treasures on this earth. Store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. You have uh, something that's coming away that's imperishable. And now we're running to the shepherd. It's like when Jesus Christ calls out beloved, and he calls to us through his word, we hear it. We perk up and we look up and we start running toward him. That's the power of the shepherd's voice in the life of the sheep. This is called effectual calling, if we like a theological label. And the Westminster Confession of Faith has a great way of putting it. I want to read it for you, just one paragraph. It's, it says this, All those and only those whom God has predestined to life, he is pleased to call effectually. Think God's voice calling, and we respond. In his appointed and accepted time by his word and spirit, he calls them from the state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. In this calling, God enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly so that they understand the things of God. He takes away their hearts of stone and gives them hearts of flesh. He renews their wills and by his almighty power turns them to what is good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. When the shepherd speaks, we come in. If you're a believer, it's because the Holy Spirit's given you a pair of ears, beloved. And you've heard it. Maybe it was from a parent. Maybe it was from a friend on the playground who told you about Jesus for the first time. Maybe it was in high school. Maybe it was from a Sunday school class. Maybe it was in a church somewhere. Maybe, who knows, it could have been from anywhere. But all of a sudden, you heard this shepherd's voice through someone else, through someone else talking to you about the word, and the Holy Spirit showed up, slapped a pair of ears on the side of your head, and all of a sudden, you hear this. I got it. I'm, I'm all ears now when the shepherd speaks. And you know, this is my Savior calling me in. Beloved, it's been a miracle of divine grace in your life that's caused that to happen. Because the flip side is this. Like Jesus, to use the words of Jesus from Matthew 22, 14, many are called, but few are chosen. There are a host of people 
who hear the call of the gospel. They hear the voice of the true shepherd, but they don't hear it. They have ears, but they can't hear. And many are called all over this world today, Sunday, beginning in China, all down through the different time zones, wherever it ends. The gospel's going out tremendously. It's going out all week through people evangelizing neighbors and friends and coworkers, etc. And there's so many people, beloved, that hear, but, but they actually don't hear. And they don't know the shepherd's voice. So I hope this never ceases to amaze me. I hope it never ceases to amaze you either that, that we actually can hear this, that we can read the word and hear Christ speaking in it and that it means something to us and that we follow. It's nothing but a work of God's sovereign grace in our lives. The shepherd uh, secondly knows the sheep by name. So verse three, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And verse 14, I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. There are a couple things I want to sort of tease out in this. Uh, first of all, Jesus knows every single believer uh, personally. He knows all of our names. He knows our going out or coming in. He just knows everything uh, about us. Psalm 56, 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God knows about our sufferings, our difficulties. Every time we cry, he knows this. He puts those things in a bottle. That's just intimate acquaintance. He knows every last thing about us, beloved. It's a, it's a great image. Jesus Christ knows us that intimately. He knows each of us as believers personally. Now, only God could pull this off. We can know, I don't know, what's our ability to know people really well, to know really thoroughly? I don't, I don't have any idea. Can we know 10 people very thoroughly, one or two? I doubt we could know 100 people thoroughly. There's just not enough time in the day. We certainly couldn't know thousands thoroughly. We could be, we could be acquaintances with thousands of people. Maybe remember thousands of names. But how about thorough, intimate knowledge of every last detail of the lives of someone else? None of us could pull that off with even one person. Jesus Christ knows us all by name. He knows every last thought. He knows all of our motives. He knows everything about us. Everything that we love, everything that we're scared of, everything we don't love. He knows every last detail, beloved. That's the good shepherd. And this also means that he knew us when he came into this world. He knew all the believers before him. He knew all the believers at the time of him. And he knew all the believers yet to come, including us and all of our sins. And so this speaking about he knows our name is actually part of the doctrine of what's called definite atonement. Some people call it limited atonement, but definite atonement. He died for those he knew, all that the father gave him. He died for them. Let me illustrate the difference this way, what this looks like. Imagine standing before Calvary. It's that Friday. Jesus is tired, this guy on the cross there. He's been up all Thursday night, been through a ton of beatings. He looks really disheveled and horrible. And he's hanging there looking really despicable. You're standing there. You just kicked your sandals off. You got your, dirt in the, uh, your, your toes in the dirt. You're just kind of wiggling around and looking at him. And one, one doctrine would say something like this. Jesus crying from the cross, I have no idea who I'm here to save, but I'm here to save a mass amount of people. I don't know them, but one day they'll come to faith in me. That would be a shepherd who doesn't know the sheep by name, doesn't have any idea who they are. Well, I'm just dying for a flock. My father knows, I don't have any idea. The flip side of a shepherd who knows every name and every detail about his sheep 
is the one who stands or hangs on that cross and picks out your eyes in the crowd along with everybody else's eyes in the crowd and says, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I know your name. You're so-and-so. You're Zach. You're John. You're Billy. You're Mary, Su- you're Mary Sue, right? I'm here for you. I know your name. Oh, that's the kind of intimate, personal relationship that every believer, every sheep has with the shepherd. Every believer has with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one in the world, we sort of looked at this already and even prayed about it. There's no one in the world who, know, who if they knew us completely, would love us fully and unconditionally. There's no one who would do that. Spouses come close. They're the ones who know us best. But here's a love that just boggles the mind. The Lord Jesus knows the worst of us. I mean the worst, beloved. The things you would never want anybody ever to know. And you will make sure that they never find out. He knows all of it. And he loves us perfectly. He knows us by name. He knows the sheep. That's tremendous love. That's a shepherd that's good. It's not a hireling. That's a shepherd that says, I don't care about how you're doing as sheep in my flock. You're in my flock. I love you. Welcome to the flock. The third thing, the shepherd is trusted by the sheep. Verse four, the sheep follow him. The sheep by nature will run from uh, predators uh, uh, and, and they will, they will uh, not follow them at all. They won't follow even somebody who they're unfamiliar with. They have to become familiar with them. So when a sheep follows, it says that the sheep trust the one that they're following. And so all believers follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We follow him wherever he leads it's a, it's a beautiful little picture. If you can imagine, uh, I'm thinking of the highlands of Scotland. Think about uh, pastures around here on hills surrounding Pella, uh, Peoria, think of Oskaloosa, anywhere. Uh, you have a person leading sheep and the sheep say, by their following, I trust you. I trust that where you lead me is going to be safe, that there's going to be something to eat, there'll be something to drink, and that at the end of the day, you'll give me somewhere to rest that's free of predators or you'll be there to defend me if they come. So a sheep is one who trusts the shepherd and in so doing follows that shepherd. Uh, Some believers follow the Lord in in very different ways. There's some who follow Jesus wherever he leads as missionaries. And the passage like Matthew 19, 29, which says everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. They say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. If you lead me to the missionary field, I'll go. And I will follow you there no matter what, because I know how good of a shepherd you are. Other believers follow Jesus into persecution. They say, you know what? I'm thinking about the resurrection to come. Rather than flee this place of persecution, I'm going to stay put. I'm going to follow the Lord in this. And I'm going to do this difficult thing and spread the kingdom. Every believer follows the Lord Jesus Christ into self-denial, into mortifying the old person. We follow him where he leads and we say this old person, this old nature has to die. It's got to be killed. I need to put it on the death wall right outside of Dachau in the concentration camp. I need to line it up and I need to shoot it over and over and over again. Every single day I need to put this person to death. So we all follow the Lord Jesus there, knowing that he's a good shepherd and that putting this old person to death is a good thing. It's what God wants. It's for our best. And all of us follow Jesus into the green pastures of having to learn obedience through suffering. The Son of God had to learn it. 
obedience to what he suffered. And we have to learn it too. We follow our Lord Jesus Christ no matter where he leads, knowing that, hey, maybe the pastors aren't quite as great as you would have liked. This is a little bit rougher than what I wanted, but he's a good shepherd. And he will never put me in harm's way just for the sake of putting me in harm's way. He's always got a purpose. He's always doing good things for me. So every believer will follow the shepherd wherever he leads. No matter what he calls us to walk through, we say, I'm in. Because the moment we got saved, every one of us confessed what? Jesus is my Lord. I'll obey him unconditionally. He's died on the cross, risen again. He's now bought me with the price. And I've got to glorify God in my body. He owns me. He's my master. So when he says, go, I go. When he says, put this to death, I put it to death. When he says, put this stuff on and live this way, I put this stuff on and I live this way because he's my shepherd and I follow him no matter where he leads me. I want us to note something too before we move on to the next point, that Christ will never ask us to go somewhere where he's not willing to go. He doesn't, he doesn't, this isn't a cattle, what do they call those things? Uh, Herding cattle, like herding cats, but oh, you drive cattle. There we go, a cattle drive. Christ, a shepherd, does not drive sheep. It would be like herding cats. A shepherd leads the sheep and goes ahead of them so that whatever a sheep has to encounter, the shepherd encountered it first. And Jesus Christ, beloved, will never ask us to do something that he himself has not experienced and had to go through. He was tempted in every way as we are, and he had no sin. And he actually went somewhere that we will never have to go. We will never have to see hell. We'll never have to go under God's infinite wrath for our sins. Never. He's been to a place we will never have to go. And now everywhere he leads us, we can say as sheep, I may be in a bad spot, a difficult spot, but my Savior has been there. My good shepherd has been where I am. And so he knows how to help. He knows how to care for me. And he can sympathize with where I am. The next thing I want us to see about shepherds is shepherd is the only way to salvation and abundant life. Verses 9 through 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this is a great uh, invitation. Look at what Jesus says, I am the door. There's only one way to be saved in this life, and that is right through the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I am, you know, I'm one of many doors. It's, it's right in line with what he's going to say in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And what Peter said in his sermon in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name uh, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So when Jesus says, I am the door, as the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm the only way that anybody can be saved. And, and if you come through me into this door, you have freedom you have freedom to live for God's glory. You have freedom to say no to sin. You can come in and you can go out. It's just a whole different life. You're not pinned up into slavery to the devil and the world and the flesh. We now have freedom as sheep. And the door to salvation and abundant life is what I want to look at next. Jesus says, I'm the door. What's through the door? Well, he says salvation is through the door and also abundant life. So if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll be rescued from his perilous condition. Again, salvation, beloved, means we need a rescue. He'll be rescued. We'll be saved. We'll be saved from a flood. We'll be saved from the wrath to come. We're saved out of a burning building. Whatever image you want to conjure up, 
Jesus says, if you come through me, I'm the door. If you want to be saved out of the horrible condition that every human being is conceived in, and it's horrible, it's part of the curse of Adam and Eve as our federal head when he fell, everyone after him fell. It's like you take two glasses of black water. Some people think, oh, you take those two glasses of black polluted sinful water and you pour them into a new glass, a new kid, and all of a sudden they'll be clear. No, they're just as black as the two original. And on and on it goes from generation after generation. Jesus says, if you wanna be rescued from that, I'm the door. You gotta, you gotta come through me. I'm the only way to be saved. And also he's the door to abundant life. Now, if you're gonna apply this to sheep, Abundant life means really green pasture. It means Psalm 23-ish stuff, quiet waters. You can actually drink out of them. It's peaceful. And it means soul restoration. It means just a great spot to be. Or if you were a sheep, you'd say, yep, I can camp here forever. I hope he never leads us out of this fold. For Christians, this abundant life has to do with, for sure, eternal life. And that's where I want to just unfold it a little bit. It's not just... Uh, eternal life where we're kind of bored, where we're sending in an eternal uh, lunch break, staring at the ceiling tiles, counting how many there are and looking at whatever messages are on the wall. And we're not working, but we're also just sitting there bored, kind of eating our sandwiches for a million billion years. He says, it's not just life, but it's abundant life. Meaning that the life that we have through salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning now is abundant but in heaven is going to be glorious. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but let me, let me at least say this. When we get to heaven, there will be no Christian who ever says, I'm bored. We won't even have the capability of thinking that. We'll be so enamored with God's glory, so enamored with the new heavens and the new earth. Think Glacier National Park, think Rocky Mountains, think Swiss Alps and waterfalls, times infinity so enamored with the new heavens and earth, so enamored with God. Think of the four living creatures, the 24 elders bowing down, alternating day and night. They never stop. And do you think they're ever going through the motions saying, oh yeah, it's my turn. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. No, they're just, they're, they're stricken by God in his presence. That'll be us forever because God is infinite in his being. Meaning, what happens when boredom hits? Oh, we've exhausted what we've seen. Something's finite. We've caught every glimpse, every angle of it. It's just kind of come for us passing. Oh, yeah, I've seen that before. No big deal. If something is infinite in its being, if God is infinite in his being, it means we could never, ever exhaust our knowledge of him. And there will always be something of him that we have never, ever seen, but he's going to display it to us somehow. And when he does, watch out and we will be blown away unto infinity. It will just never stop. So when Jesus Christ calls us into beloved is salvation, what he's the door for is salvation and also a life that will be abundant and that will last forever. That's what's coming our way. One thing about this, it's not enough to look at the door. It's not enough to hear about the door. We have to walk through the door. It's not enough to watch other people that we may know walk through the door. In order to be saved, and in order to have this abundant life, this incredible life, we personally have to individually walk through that door one at a time. I believe in Jesus. Walk through the door. If we don't walk through that door, then we will not be saved, and we will have no abundant life. 
Well, the next thing about the shepherd is that the shepherd unites very different sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is interesting. Jesus is already prophesying about the calling of the Gentiles into the church. Right now, he's dealing with the Israelites. And he's saying, look, I've got people in this flock. I'm calling them out of Old Testament Israel, of this Judaism, of this self-righteous religion that the Pharisees were promoting and and teaching and, and governing. I'm calling people out to be part of my flock. But there's sheep of another fold. Think Pentecost. Think yet to come when the Holy Spirit is poured out. He says, I'm going to be calling them as well. So I've got sheep from a different fold, and they're going to be joined together. So there'll be one flock, one church, and there's one shepherd over that church who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he's speaking prophetically about what is to come in the pouring out of the Spirit. And this speaks, again, strongly to the unity of the church. There is just one Lord Jesus Christ over the church, and ultimately there's just one church. Everybody who belongs to him is part of his flock. The next is the true shepherd is God. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now this would have evoked a lot of thoughts for the people in Jesus' hearing at this time. I am, we're back to Exodus 3 now, we're back to those passages in Isaiah where the Lord says, I am, I'm the, there is none besides me, I am the only God and Savior. Jesus says, I am again, and this time he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, that notion of being the good shepherd would have also evoked a lot of images in the minds of the Jews in front of him, because in the Old Testament, what was was crystal clear is that the Lord is the shepherd. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. That sounds like not just a shepherd, but a good shepherd. So the Lord is a good shepherd. I, I won't lack anything when the Lord's my shepherd. He, he feeds me really good. He gives me a great place to drink stuff. And that's an incredible shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11, the Lord will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Ezekiel 34, verses 12 and verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. Psalm 77, verse 20, you lead your people like a flock. Psalm 79, verse 13, we, your people, and the sheep of your pastors will give thanks to you. And maybe the biggest bombshell of all of them would have been Ezekiel 34, verse 23. Catch this. I will set up over my flock one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. Did you catch that? I will set up over my flock one shepherd. And Jesus says, I've got sheep from another fold, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Ezekiel 34 talks about whoever this one is that's going to be the shepherd will be from David, his servant David, and he will be prince among them. He's going to rule. And Jesus says, one flock, one shepherd. I'm the one from David. I'm the prince that the Lord set up. So in their minds, that's what evoked Here he is again, claiming to be God. He's not just saying, hey, I'm a good teacher. I'm here to expose the word of God, unfold it, exposit it. Nope, I'm God, boldly asserting that claim. And the apostles picked this up regarding 
Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. Hebrews 13, verse 20, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, that good shepherd of the sheep. 1 Peter 2, 25, You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 5, 4, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And one more, Revelation 7, 17, The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's proclaiming himself to be God. Everybody knew this. The apostles picked up on it. Yep, he is the good shepherd. He is indeed God. Well, the shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep in verse 15. So when the wolf pack or the bears or any other predators come against the sheep in the flock, the shepherd goes to stand in the gap. He risks his life. He'll lay down his life for the sake of the sheep. Why? Because he loves the sheep. Just loves them. They're his flock. He cares for them. In fact, in my reading uh, this past week and weeks previous, what's interesting is the, the innate knowledge that a lot of these really good shepherds have of all their sheep. Because remember, when a sheep comes into the pen at night, the shepherd inspects every sheep. It's narrowed down to one, so they go through one at a time. And the shepherds will look at the sheep and, and see, oh, this, this one has a bruise here. This one has a, a bum leg here. And the shepherd will care and minister to each sheep individually. The shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep. He cares for them one at a time. He knows them so well. He loves them. That's why he'll lay down his life for them. And that's true of every single believer. Now, there were some good shepherds in the Old Testament. King David was a good shepherd, right? Killed a lamb and a, was it a, no, a lion and a bear uh, in, in his work, but he didn't have to give his life in order to do that. He still kept his life. But this shepherd, King Jesus, the ultimate shepherd, actually had to lay down his life in order to have a flock. He had to give his life all the way. Didn't come just to risk it, but he came to give it. He didn't come thinking, hey, maybe I'll get out of this alive. Maybe I'll just be caught up in the clouds without having to go to a sacrificial death on the cross and be raised again. No, he came down knowing fully, when I come down here for this flock, it's going to cost me everything. I'm going to have to go all the way to death. Isaiah 53, 6 is fulfilled in Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when that iniquity was laid on him, he paid for it with his life. So that's the good shepherd. How do we know good shepherd? lays down his life for the sheep. Two more things. The good shepherd is willing to die for the sheep. Verses 17 to 18 of John 10. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Why does the father love Jesus so much and honor his son? because the son came to lay down his life for the sheep willingly. Not out of compulsion, but willingly. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Oh, but this is life-giving for every believer. Jesus Christ did not come into this world because the father won an arm wrestling match in heaven somehow. Jesus Christ did not come into this world because the father was pushing him and pushing him and pushing him to do it. And he finally said, if this is the only way to get you off my back, I'll go. 
The father decreed, this is how anyone can be saved. And the son said, sign me up. I want to go. And he tells them ahead of time, when I lay down my life as it were, I want you to know ahead of time, <laughs> I'm laying it down of my own accord. No one's taking my life from me. I'm not some sort of victim here. This, isn't, this will be a part of injustice when Jesus dies. Absolutely. It was the hands of lawless men that crucified him. But Jesus saying, I've come here to do this work and I do it because I want to do it. Well, but Jesus Christ wanted to go to the cross for you. He wanted to die for you and me. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? I hope it's hard to fathom. Why would he want to go to the cross for someone like me? Someone like me who is so full of sin, who, who is conceived in sin and guilt, who's an enemy of God. Why would he want to do this? Think of all the things that you and I want to do in our spare time. How much it involves tremendous sacrifice for people who hate your guts. I'm guessing probably none of us in this past week have even spent more than an hour, maybe some of us have, loving and serving and sacrificially going out of a way to benefit those who can't stand our guts and want us dead. And Jesus Christ said, all these enemies of ours, all these people who are rebels who said, go fly a kite, God, you're against us. Satan knows well that if I eat this, I'll become like you and I want to be just like you. And God says, Christ says, I want to go save them. And he did it. So beloved, this should create in us, I hope, a willing heart. And here's how. When you see a Savior who says, put me on that cross, I've come to die. I've come to save people from my sins. It's in my name. I've come to save people from their sins. It's in my name. When you see him march to the cross, set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem halfway through Luke because he knows he's born to die. Not in the death row sense, like people put on their, you know, their arms, tattooing themselves up, born to die, but born to die to save. And he went there because he wanted to. I hope that creates in us a heart that says, well, if Jesus wanted to save me, if he wanted to go do this in order to give me life, then I'm in. Not just because I have to, but because I want to. I want to serve him. This is a great shepherd. I want to follow him wherever he leads me. And then finally, the good shepherd is known by the sheep. Verse 14, I know my own and catch this, my own know me. So the shepherd, it's not just that the shepherd knows the sheep, but the sheep know the shepherd intimately, personally. There's a, an old story that's been around, circulated. I don't even know if it's true. It's been butchered and cut up in so many ways, but it still presents a valuable truth. I want to explain it to you. Back in the, uh, I think, 1800s, early 1900s, there was, uh, you know, before screens, television, uh, ways to entertain ourselves sitting in our living rooms, uh, there were uh, people who go around as traveling entertainers. They come to town, they'd be on a stage, they make funny jokes, just entertainment for the night. People pay to go see them and or take up an offering and then they go to the next town and do the same thing. Well, one time they stopped in a, a small town and uh, the show was great. At the end of the show, the entertainer said, uh, you know, can I get any requests from the audience? And one older gentleman said, yeah, could you please recite for us Psalm 23? You know, the man was eloquent, so they all expected this would be amazing. And so he recites Psalm 23. As soon as he's done, the crowd applauds. It was amazing the way he used the language. He did it all from memory. But before he did it, he said, I'll do this, Psalm 23, if you do it after me. So the old man said, okay. So the entertainer did it. Again, applauds. Crowds are going crazy. They loved it. 
The old man came up on stage, was dressed kind of shabbily, not a very good speaker at all. And he just quoted Psalm 23. And when he was done, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. There was no clapping, there was weeping. And the entertainer said, I hope you caught what took place. I know the Psalm, this guy knows the shepherd. So here's a question, beloved, for you and for me. Do we know the shepherd? Do I know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? If we don't, know him. If we do, love him. He's a great shepherd. Let's pray.